1 Kings chapter 17. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 17. The Word of God says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And and Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Let's go back and read verse number 18, and then we'll pray. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you and praise you and give you glory for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we wouldn't even have the want to to be here were it not for the workings of your grace in our lives. Father, we pray as we've gathered here with your word and your spirit and, Father, with your people, that, Lord, you would do a work in us as we are your people. We belong to you. We're the sheep of your pastor. So, Father, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd move on our souls, and, God, that you'd do in us that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, we do love you tonight. and We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to the end of 1 Kings chapter 17, we also come to the end of a short series that we have done over the past two Sunday nights. We have examined some strange things happening in the Word of God. I talked a little bit last week about perspective and trying to see things from Elijah's perspective and gaining an understanding of maybe what we might call the human element of what we're reading. You know, as we read the Word of God, it's easy to read it from our perspective. Here we sit with the completed Word of God. Here we sit with 2,000 years of New Testament Christianity. Here we sit with all these promises of God. And it's easy sometimes to look back in judgment at the behavior of some of those that are in the Word of God. But if you place yourself in the shoes of those that we're reading about, you can imagine how you'd sort of see things their way, and you begin to understand what a struggle it must have been for them. As we began the first week in this series on when God fails, we looked at the time in 1 Kings 17 when God's provision is disrupted. There is a famine in the land according to the Word of God. God has commanded Elijah the prophet to go to the brook Kareth and to stay there. And God's going to send ravens twice a day to bring him food to eat. And he's going to drink of the brook there. Well, the Bible says it came to pass that the brook ran dry. Uh, You imagine the confusion that Elijah must have had. It had seemed as though God's promise had not been kept. It had seemed as though... Uh, that God had failed him in his life. We looked at how that God, though he was closing one door, as he always is, he was opening another. 
and providing an opportunity to show His might and His watch care over the tender prophet. Last week, we looked at the next story in 1 Kings chapter 17, and that is the introduction between Elijah and a woman that we know only as the widow woman of Zarephath. And we looked at a situation where it seemed as though God's plan was desperate. God had commanded a widow woman to sustain Elijah, not just any widow woman, but a Gentile widow woman. Not just any Gentile widow woman, but a Gentile widow woman that had a son to care for. Not just any Gentile woman with a son to care for, but one that was at such the brink of poverty that she was gathering a couple sticks together to make a fire, to cook the last bit of of grain of meal that she had with the last little few drops of oil so that her and her son could eat that and die. We saw how that God's plan, you know, God always has a plan. There's nothing catches him by surprise. There's nothing he's not made a plan for. Nothing he doesn't have a purpose in. We saw how that through God's sovereign will and through God's purposes, Elijah saw God do some big things. Tonight, as we come to the close of this chapter, I want to take a few moments tonight, and I want to preach to you on this thought, when God's peace is disturbed. Aren't you thankful for the peace of God? There's a peace that the world knows, but... It is a small piece, and it is a light piece. Any little thing can disrupt it. Any little thing can unseat the peace that the lost man claims to have. We know that the Bible tells us that there's no peace to the wicked, no peace to the unrighteous. But they do have some semblance. They uh, go and get them a job. They put a big savings account together. They buy them a big house. They try to watch over their family, and they believe that they have peace. I'd have you know that the peace of God is not something as fragile as the peace that the world has. For our peace is not founded in our circumstances. Our peace is founded in our Savior. And uh, as long as He is sitting right side up, we'll be sitting right side up. As long as He's on the throne, we need not worry. And I've got news for you. He's not coming off the throne anytime soon. He's not going to lose control. He's not going to forfeit His authority. All power is committed unto the Son, and He's going to retain that power. Let me tell you something. When He comes again, He's not coming as the meek Galilean. He's coming as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, with a name written on His thigh, with His vesture dipped in blood, with a sharp two-edged sword proceeding out of His mouth. The days of Him coming in meekness and humility are over, my friend. He is coming back. Somebody say amen to that. But when He comes back, He's coming back not to die. He's coming back to reign and to rule. But you know, there are times in our lives, though the peace of God is available to all of us, when it seems as though our present circumstances arrest our spirit and we begin to worry and we begin to fret and we begin to have anxiety about the things that we are going through. Now, you may have never experienced that, but I have. And I'm sure there are some in this room that testify that's been a reality to them. And in this passage, we have a situation where a woman is in the direct center of God's will. She's doing exactly what God would have her to do. She is surrendered to what God wants out of her life. And yet still, tragedy strikes. I want you to notice a few things with me, and then we'll have a baby shower. Somebody say amen. I want you to notice first off the blessings that she had enjoyed. How many of you would say, Preacher, I have been blessed of God. Now, don't say that if you don't mean it, but if you mean it, say, I've been blessed. I know that I've been blessed of God. This was a woman that had been blessed of God. 
It's interesting that this passage in verse 17 begins with this phrase, it came to pass after these things. Now, after what things? What were some things that had been going on in her life? I'd note first off that this was a woman that had enjoyed the blessing of the power of God in her life. She was getting ready to die. She had nothing. She had no hope. She had no help. And then Elijah comes along. And Elijah comes along and says, you don't have much, but if you'll give it to God, He'll do more with it than what you can. And so she surrenders that little bit of food that she has left. And the Bible says that the barrel of meal did not waste and the cruise of oil did not go dry. I mean, she had seen God do some miraculous things. In a time when God was hiding His prophets, she had seen the power of God. She's a Gentile. She has no business ever experiencing the power of God. In this particular setting, in this particular situation, uh, Christ spoke of it this way. He said, there's a lot of widow womans in Israel, but Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but unto this Gentile woman. You know what the Lord's trying to say? He's trying to say there wasn't a chance in the world that this woman would ever know God, and yet here's Elijah, and here's the power of God. Can I say this, that the power of God in my life, I don't deserve it. There's no reason I should ever experience and see the power of God, the miracles that God performs. I believe we have a miracle-working God. If you want to label me a fanatic, go ahead and label. I'm a fanatic with the fan on high. I mean, listen, I, I'm so over the edge, they're going to commit me here in another five years just for being a Christian. I have seen the power and miracles of an almighty God. I believe in it. I, I've seen too much. You say, preacher, do you mean you can cause it? No, I can't cause a miracle. And let me just give you a little hint. Nobody else can give you a miracle either. They can smack you on the head. They can cover you with oil. They can spit on you. They can sweat on you. And that won't do a thing. But let me tell you something, when it's in the sovereign will of an almighty God, He still has the power and He still has the interest to bend His almighty hand to this poor pitiful earth and to work in the lives of those that are here. We have a miracle working God. He's able to do that. And this woman had experienced that. I mean, she had seen God move in a mighty way. Let me say, first off, one of those things... One of those blessings was the power of God. Let me say, number two, that she had experienced the provision of God. I mean, she had literally seen God feed her in a miraculous way. I, when we preached on this passage, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, it may not even been on a Sunday. I may have been at home preaching in the shower. I don't know. But at some point, I, the thought crossed my mind, when you consider how few of us really know what it is to be fed by the hand of God. Elijah understood what it was. You can imagine every single day as he sat and watched over those hilltops. I, I don't know. I don't know if the ravens kept a schedule, but if they're anything like the Lord, they were just right on time. And maybe Elijah got used to the time that they would show up in the morning and in the evening. Maybe he could see by the sun. Maybe he could tell just by his internal clock. But in some way, I can sort of see that old haggard prophet looking over the tree line, waiting for the ravens to arrive. Very few of us live that way. No, we've got 401Ks, amen? We've got savings plans. I'm not against those things. I I believe you ought to be wise with your money. I'm not trying to be ugly and I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just merely saying this. Very few of us have lived with poverty that is so great, that is so drastic, that we literally had to sit and wait for God to deliver us a meal. The story is told of George Mueller who operated an orphanage in Bristol, England. 
And uh, when he operated this orphanage, he did not try to solicit any kind of funds from anybody. He always said that he'd tell his needs only to the Lord, and the Lord always met his needs. And there were some that would give gifts that had learned of the ministry, but he wouldn't go out and try to uh, hold his hat in his hand and try to get any money for the ministry. He'd just trust God to provide. And it was said once that as he gathered the orphans around, and he had at one time about 2,000 orphans in that home, that there was no milk to drink, that there was no bread to eat, that there was no soup that they could have. And he gathered all the orphans around, and he set an empty bowl in front of them. And they looked at him and said, Mr. Mueller, what are we doing? There's no food. And he said, we're going to thank God for what He's provided for us. And so he had the children bow their heads, and Mr. Mueller began to pray and to thank the Lord for what he had provided, what he would provide. Mr. Mueller didn't get to finish that prayer, because before he did, he heard a knock at the door. At that time, and some of you even remember this being the case in your life, at that time milk was delivered door to door. How many of you remember the milkman? Well, when he went outside, there was a milkman standing there. It was a late hour in the evening. And he asked him, he said, Sir, what can I do for you? We're just in here getting ready to thank the Lord for what He's going to provide. And he said, Mr. Mueller, I've heard about your orphanage. And as I was traveling and bringing this shipment of milk, the uh, carriage through a wheel, and I won't be able to get it fixed in time to get this milk somewhere before it'll spoil, do you have a need for milk for those orphans that are in there? Let me tell you something, that's God. I mean, that's miraculous. And some of you could tell times when God has provided down to the penny for you and done something great and miraculous in your life. She had enjoyed the provision of God. Then I want you to notice that she not only enjoyed the power of God and the provision of God, but this woman had enjoyed for all of this time the presence of God in her household. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean? Do you mean that God took up residence in her household? No. But what I do mean is that when the man of God couldn't be found, he was found there. You know, oftentimes one of the tools of God's judgment, one of the instrumentalities of Him pouring out His wrath on a society is He removes those that would preach the truth of the Word of God from that society. And you go through the minor prophets when God was judging Israel, oftentimes the judgment He would mete out is that the prophets wouldn't prophesy, the preachers wouldn't preach, the vision wouldn't go forth, that God would not speak to society because they had uh, spurned Him and they had refused His Word and His truth. God was doing this in the nation of Israel at this time. God had hidden away Elijah. They had been searching for him. They had been looking for him. Let me tell you something. Uh, Would to heaven that we lived in a time where when things got bad, people went looking for the Word of God, looking for the truth of God. Our country wouldn't be in the condition that it's in if that's what Americans did when things go bad. Oh, I know, September 11th, everybody filled into churches, and by September 13th, it's all empty again. The truth of the matter is, if we get to the place where we sought God when something happened, We turn on the news and something awful happens. You know what we say? Huh, look at that. Not in my town. Click it to the next channel. Uh, Would to God that we would go before heaven and ask God to intervene and to work and to move in a mighty way in our country. That's what we need. Amen? That's what we need. She had enjoyed the presence of God. When nobody had the presence of God, she had the presence of God. When nobody could get a word from heaven, she could get a word from heaven. She had enjoyed God's sweet presence in her home and in her life. If you're uh, born again by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you're born again, that's the only way you've been born again. And if you're saved by the grace of God, then you know to some extent what it is to enjoy the presence of God. Let me tell you something. We, We take very lightly what we have in the Holy Ghost. Very lightly. You say, oh, preacher, don't start talking about the Holy Ghost. Why? He's in the midst of us. If you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, then He's inside you. Don't be scared of Him. Don't let the charismatics scare you away from the Holy Ghost. 
Uh, listen, anything that's spiritual is scriptural. Amen? Anything that's spiritual is scriptural. The Spirit of God won't endorse it if the source of it is not the Scripture of the Word of God. You and I, I think we have a great blessing in the indwelling of the Spirit of God. The Old Testament saints did not enjoy this the way that we do, and we've grown to take it lightly. We've gotten to a place where He is just a, an unwanted guest oftentimes in our life. He's just a disruption to our life of leisure and of sin. Listen, we ought to thank God every day that God loves us enough to convict us when we do wrong. He could leave us alone, couldn't He? But He doesn't. Through the Spirit of God, He speaks to us. And oh, what a peace comes from the presence of God. So we see in this passage there were some blessings that she had enjoyed when no one else had. But there comes a day when everything changes. I don't know exactly what happened. There are other instances in the Word of God where we're given more details. But all we know about this is that the, uh, the son of this woman fell sick and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Here's this woman in the middle of the will of God, doing the work of God, ministering to the prophet of God. And all of a sudden, her son dies. And we see the burden that was inflicted upon her. Did you know that tough times come to those even that are in the will of God? Just because you're serving God, that doesn't mean you're not going to have difficult times. In fact, I go a step further and say that once you make up your mind to serve God, there's a whole different category of difficulty that's coming your way. I know God will help us, and God helped this woman. But I think we need to be honest with people. I think we need to prepare them for the battle, don't you? I think we need to be honest enough with them. There's a spiritual warfare that is taking place and has always took place. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about Daniel chapter 10 and the spiritual battle that was taking place over his prayer life. Listen, once you make up your mind to serve God, you better gird up your loins because you're in for a fight. And this woman, she was doing the will of God. She was serving God. And can I go a step further? And I do not know everything about this woman's life, but I know as far as Scripture presents things to us, we do not know of anything that is glaringly wrong in her life. I'm sure she sinned. In fact, she's going to talk about it here in a moment. But we do not know of anything. Do you know sometimes difficult things come and it's not judgment from God? We preached this morning about the frogs and about the judgment of God in Egypt. And there's times when God does judge us in those ways. It chastises, if you want a more biblical word for the believer, chastise us in those ways. But do you know that there's some times when it's not that we've done anything wrong. It's that God's trying to do something right in us. And this woman experienced these burdens. I think there's a few things we could talk about. I think we could notice, first off, her calamity. Her son had died. I've never experienced this. There may be some in this room that have lost a child that you were able to hold and to kiss and to, and to sing to and to feel the warmth of that little child's body. I've never been through that, but I've heard the stories. I've talked with those that have, and I cannot fathom what it must have been like for we do not know the age of this young man. We know that the Bible calls him a child. And typically that phrase, that word child, is not given uh, to a boy that's over uh, the age of 13. So very likely he was young. And she had lost her son. What a crushing blow that must have been. And she talks about it. It says in verse 17 that this boy fell sick and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Don't make any mistake. Don't try to read anything that's not there. That boy had died. He had died. We see her calamity. Then I want you to think about the confusion she must have went through. She sort of voices this in verse number 18. She said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? We understood some things from that phrase, don't we? 
we understand, number one, that she knows that God is real. She calls Elijah a man of God, and she knows and she's seen, and there's no denying in her heart that God is real. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the confusion we endure is made all the worse because of how close we've been with the Lord. We know that He loves us. We know that He's real. And we don't understand the things that are taking place in our life. Confusion is a great affliction in the life of a believer. Sometimes we endure it. Job endured it. You've heard me say it a hundred times, but I'll say it again, that that Job's biggest difficulty, his biggest trial that he experienced, it was not the loss of his health. It was not the loss of his riches. It was not even the loss of his children. Job's greatest affliction was that he couldn't figure out what God was trying to do in his life. And he wished he could find some place to go, to speak to God, to figure this thing out. He felt like God had forgotten him and he couldn't understand because what he knew of the nature of God didn't seem to coincide with the actions of God, and it brought confusion in his life. We know that she believes that God is real. We know that she believes that Elijah is a man of God. She calls him that. I don't believe she was calling him that in scorn or in sarcasm. I believe that this is a woman that by all rights ought to be dead, and she knew the only reason she was not dead was because God had sent Elijah her way and had commanded her to sustain him. She knew she had a purpose in life and that ministering to this man of God was that purpose. I believe she knew and believed that he was a man of God. You know, sometimes as we go to serve God, we know God's real. We know we're serving God. We know that we're surrounded by the people of God. You can imagine maybe how hard it must have been to hear Elijah's answers. You know, I don't know what Elijah said, and I can only imagine. I understand we have to be careful doing that. I don't know if Elijah immediately in that moment took that child. Maybe there was some time of counseling and of comfort. I don't know what Elijah would have said, but I know what maybe I would have said. If it had been me, maybe I would have said, Ma'am, God's working in your life. Ma'am, God's doing something big. Ma'am, I know it's difficult, but you must trust Him. Ma'am, you're not always going to understand the purposes of God, but they're always right. And don't you know it sounded hollow to her as she stood there and stared at the lifeless body of her only child. She had no one left in the world, and she couldn't figure it out. I think the calamity that she endured and the confusion that she endured, but I think the condemnation that she felt was probably a burden to her. Notice what she says in verse number 18. She says, Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? What strange language for a pagan Gentile to be using. She's using words like sin. That tells you that God had been working in her life. Because now the things that she has done, they're no longer just a way of life. They're no longer just what everyone else is doing. Now she calls it my sin. The things that I have done wrong. One of the first things that most of us run to do, and let me say that there is a measure of this, there is a dose of this that is healthy. When we have affliction, we ought to search ourselves. We ought to ask God to look in our lives. But you know, oftentimes we can grow overburdened as we think that it's been us that we've messed up that we've done it wrong, that it's our fault. Let me tell you something. Once you've asked God's forgiveness for sin and once you've forsaken sin, there's nothing else to do for it. You've done all that can be done for it. There's no telling how many people won't serve God because they're tripping over their past. 
something they, some mistake they've made, something they've done. Let me tell you something. I, uh, and people that always want to bring it up, listen, I, I'm the first one to say we ought to call sin by name. I'm the first one to say that we ought not make light of sin. But let me also be the first one to say this, that once a person has been forgiven, if that's good enough for God, it ought to be good enough for us. Good enough for us. We better be careful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And the way we treat others, we may just find God might treat us in that same manner. This is a woman that is now all of her sins are rushing to her mind. Now all of the reasons, and oftentimes we grasp for those reasons as we try to figure out what God is doing. And it brings us to a point of despair where we can't even... It's paralytic in our lives. We see the burden that was inflicted. But you know there's hope. I, I like as we read the end of this passage. It doesn't end with the son dead and the, and the mother in despair. And you know, that's the way the Lord is. If we'll turn to Him, He'll never leave us in darkness. We'll never be left. We may go through some darkness. We may endure some difficult times. We may, we may experience some very harsh and troubling things. But if we'll lean on the Lord, we won't be left in darkness. I'm not implying we're working or holding out for our salvation. I'm talking about in your Christian walk. If you're in darkness right now, you don't have to stay that way. If you'll trust God, He'll bring you through it. And this woman experiences that hand of God. What was the behavior that she enacted? What can we do? Some of you came here tonight troubled. You came through the door and you smiled and you shook hands and you laughed and you acted like everything was okay. But really, in your heart, you're troubled. And you don't understand some things that God is doing. You say, preacher, what can I do? What can I do? Well, I think we can do what she did. Look with me at verse number 19. And I want you to notice her commitment. It says, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. Now stop for a moment and think about that. Probably the last thing in the world she wanted to do was let go of that child. Probably the last thing in the world she wanted to do was loosen her grip on his lifeless body. But here's the thing. She had a choice. Either she could keep it dead or she could give it to God and let it live. Let me say that again so you really get that. Either she could keep it and it'd be dead or she'd give it to God and it'd live again. You know, sometimes that's the choice that we have. And notice what happens. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. You know what she had to do? She had to take that trial that difficulty, that thing that she loved beyond everything else in the world, whenever she was getting ready to die, you understand there were times in the nation of Israel where as people starved, they ate their own children. Read the Word of God. It happened. But this woman at the point of death, she's still wanting to provide for her son a cake for me and for him so that we may eat it and die. And now the child's wound up dead anyway and she's alive. For most parents, that'd be their worst nightmare. What's she going to do? She has to let go of it and let God take it somewhere that she can't see it any longer. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of praying and giving something to God so you can get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. Anything that takes your gaze off of the Son of God is something you need to give over to the Lord. Anything that becomes a distraction from trusting Him is something you need to let go of. You say, but preacher, what if it's something I love? What if it's something I care for? What if it's something that I need? Well, if you need it, God won't take it from you. God will give it back to you fourfold. She just gave Elijah a body. 
But Elijah brought back a son. And if we can only yield it to the Lord, I believe we'd be better. We see her commitment. Then notice, I want you to see this. I like this. She had a commitment, but she had a confederate too. Now, don't, don't get excited, okay, our northern brethren. I'm not talking about the, the rebel army. I'm talking about somebody that would go in her stead. I'm talking about somebody that would be a help to her and someone that would go in her place before the throne of God. She couldn't go and talk to the Lord. You know why? Because she wasn't fit to talk to the Lord. Am I, am I telling it right? This widow woman, this Gentile widow woman that has no knowledge of God beyond the experience of the last few months and the things that she had endured. She had no personal relationship with God in, in a detailed and deep and meaningful way. And so you know what she had to do? She had to give her son to someone that was closer to God than her. You say, preacher, are you saying I ought to go out and find me a good Christian to pray for my need? Well, go ahead and do that. That's good. But can I encourage you in saying this, that there's one even closer to the Lord than that Christian friend that you have. Listen, get everybody praying that you can get praying. God bless you. I, I believe in that. But understand that their prayers wouldn't mean anything if we didn't have somebody even closer to the Lord than them. She had a confederate. She had someone that she could hand that problem to, and he could take it up into the third law. He could stretch out over it. He could talk to God about it and make a difference. Let me tell you something. You and I, when we have problems, when the peace of God has left our lives... We need to remember who our peace is anchored in. We need to go back to Him who gave us the peace in the first place. Christ said, Peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. We've got to go back to Him who is the Prince of Peace. We have to go back to Him who is the fountain of all the consolation of God. We have to go back to Him who is the God of all comfort and ask Him to take our part and to stand in our stead. She had somebody that could go in her place. And then notice finally, not only her commitment and her confederate, but look at verse 24, and I want you to notice her confession. Now it all becomes clear. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says that the end of a matter is far better than the beginning of it. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'd I'd have a lot of discouragement if the beginning of a matter was always the best, because sometimes the beginnings that I have are not very good. But look how it all ends. Verse 24, And the woman said to Elijah... Now, here she is. She's got her boy back with her. He's alive. She committed him to the Lord, and the Lord gave him back. And now they're happy, and now everything's good. And what does she say about it? She says to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Now, wait a minute. She said she knew it before. Yeah. But now she knows it in a different way. She knew it academically before. Now she knows it experientially. She had seen God make the cruise of oil and the, and the barrel of meal bottomless. But now she's seen God give her son back to her. And now, listen carefully, the peace that she has is greater than the peace that she had. The peace that she had was a peace that God wouldn't starve her to death. The peace that she has is that He's on the throne and He has the power of life and death. The peace that she had had to do with this world. Now the peace that she has has to do with the next world. I kind of imagine and and think about what Paul said to Philemon concerning Onesimus. Do you remember what he said? I know we're sort of switching gears, but do you remember what he said as he wrote that letter 
to Philemon about this runaway slave Onesimus. And he said this, Perhaps he departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but as a brother beloved, both to me and to thee. You know, sometimes we don't understand the things that God takes from us until He gives them back. Sometimes we don't understand the things that God does until we see the end of the matter. And sometimes when we are troubled and disturbed at the circumstances around us, it doesn't make sense until God brings a resolution to the thing. You're here tonight, and God gave this message to you. And I don't know who I'm speaking to, but you know who I'm speaking to. And God knows who I'm speaking to. And the Holy Spirit has made an application to your heart and life tonight. And as you're here in this place, you have a choice to make. You know, every word from God that we ever have gives us a choice. And as you're here tonight, here's your choice. Are you going to cling to it and keep it dead? Or are you going to give it to God that He can make it live again? Are you going to cling to the peace that you had or reach for the peace that you can have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul said it to us this way, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. I wonder if you're going to cling to it tonight. Or I wonder if you're going to surrender it to the Lord and let Him have it and let Him take it.